Hey up, how do and welcome to today's instalment of Loose Lips. This is the ninth instalment, so we've been going for around about a month now. If you're new to Loose Lips, what it's about is looking to share optimism and uplift through this time by speaking with a wide range of different people from all walks of life and just getting to know a bit more about their story and tale in life to inspire some inspiration to you all who come into contact and watch this as well. So if you're looking to look at the back catalogue, you can find that. You can go to our YouTube page, which is Pop Cult Chic. Put that in the search engine and you'll find our back catalogue. And also here on Instagram, pop.cult.chic. Give that a gander and you can find it all as well. Our first chat today is with Nick. He sent the request, so I'll just accept and we'll get chatting. Hey, what's up, man? Yes, brother, how you doing? How you doing, bro? Yeah, rocking that limited Bernie meets the strokes. We got the Bernie going. Sick guy, how you been getting on? I'm good, dude. How about you? Yeah, man. Good, good, good. Obviously, it's a bit crazy. Um, so, anyone who's watching, uh, me and Nick, we know each other from when Nick was over working in Manchester and we met at a bar called The Patron. Long live The Patron, yeah, now known as Wilson man. Social, but OG, The Patron back in the day. Um, and yeah, so, mate, obviously, we've not properly seen each other like face to face in a long, long time, but. We do keep up to, to speed with wrestling and politics. Yeah. Those are our main sort of uh, tappings, aren't they? I think the last time we talked probably in person was right after WrestleMania. So it's uh, it's similar timing now. Yeah, 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 definitely. This is, the, Around the springtime, yeah. around the, the spring equinox, we'll always have a, a catch-up. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, everything's obviously been a bit crazy here. Obviously, same there. But yeah, you know, been been keeping good, just digging into the well of movies that are available. How about you? Well, that's what I was going to sort of lead on from what I was saying with me working with you in Manchester. So everywhere's sort of been shut for the past four, five, maybe even six weeks now, which is crazy. So I've not been able to play in the Northern Quarter, which obviously I'm missing to bits. But I'm uh, appreciating the opportunity of this time to be able to seek out other creative pursuits or so for example doing this and uh getting stuck in a bit more with some technical bits of me djing and writing a few more comedy scripts and material so it's been productive man it's weird it's strange and i can't wait right. for everything to i don't like saying normal because i don't agree with what was happening before as the normal yeah. but i definitely am looking forward to being back out and yeah getting back in amongst it yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the kind of exciting thing about this, though, right? Like, there there is a lot going, like, there was a lot that was wrong before. So it's like the opportunity maybe to start over again when this is all over, you know? Like, maybe well, this, it'll be a better world. Well, this is what I'm putting to people. Is this pause or is it reset? Because I think if it's pause, we'll have missed the opportunity to be able to change how we want to impact going forward i think if it's reset i really think that a lot of the skills or the way of life the speed of life that people have been living at i think it's done well for a for a lot of people i've been speaking to and i think like if if it's been doing well in this time it'd be good for people to maintain that as well and that's how the reset happens yeah i do think i mean i think with this time it's made people realize like there, I feel like there's been a degree before that's all happened of like people don't realize how much we all need to take care of each other during important times. Mm. And I think with something like this, it has kind of opened people's mind up to be kind of like, no, we need to look after everybody. You know? Yeah, Not everybody. Just... Exactly. We need to look after everybody. I think that's what's come out of this. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's that's an empathy people are learning, which is I mean, that's awesome. That's exciting. That is true. That is true. Now, one thing that I've uh, been seeing you up to during this lockdown period, and one of the reasons I wanted to reach out, is your highly vested will to um, recommend certain films, directors, film scores. So, movies and films, that's that's your beyond a passion. It's an obsession, isn't it? 
yeah, no, this is my life. This is this is uh, pretty much since I was a teenager. It's like all I think about. So, yeah, it, I mean, that's the good thing about now. And I guess with what I'm interested in is that like people are obviously home and looking for something to watch, looking for something to get like dug into. And the fact that I do have like this well of knowledge of random movies, like I love being able to recommend things to people. Yeah, it seems so. Like uh, anybody who's uh, wanting to follow will get Nick to give his Insta handle, but he's also got a podcast, which is Cynicism, ace name as well, by the way. Thanks, and, man. Um, nice, sick name. And um, yeah, so on your personal Insta, you've been putting like anybody wants to recommend a film or a certain director or a certain genre, and it, you'll be like, you'll fire them back like a specific top five. So if people are a bit stuck for stuff or maybe wanting to get a bit deeper into an artist or a, a director that, that, that might just know they skim the surface, you're the sort of person to go in and, and bestow a bit more information. So where did this passion, where did it really stem from? Do you remember the, the first film or the moments where, where, where he was like, this is it, this is, this is the world that I want to be in, this fantasy world of films? Yeah, um, I mean, I think for me it was, it was kind of gradual. Um, like, I remember, obviously, like, I think when we're kids, like, we just, like, watch films and we just get excited for whatever. Um, but Are we on about VHS like, days as well? Oh, dude, I had, like, I had, like, all the Disney, like, Fox and the Hound, Aladdin, Lion King, all that. Um, Don't you think there was something about the VHSs which made it a bit more magical, but you just get this thing, and it was, like, the way it went in and down, and it was, like, it, it felt special watching a film on a VHS. Yeah, I think there was something. It was also, I think, like, a commitment, you know? Like, these days with, like, Netflix and stuff, if you don't like a movie after, like, five minutes, you can just turn it off. But when you were a kid, like, your mom put the VHS in, and it was like, you're just stuck in it. You got to watch it. <laughs> Great <laughs> like, point. You're, you're not going to throw the VHS tape out after five minutes. Uh, but, no, I remember I remember my mom took me to see Aladdin, like, in theaters when I was, like, five or six or something like that. And I just got so, like, wrapped up in it. Um, my mom said, like, when the genie started singing, I tried to get out of like my seat and start dancing around. And then she was <laughs> like, I had to chase you all over the theater. Uh, so I guess yes. that was like already like kind of passionate about it. Um, but then, then I think like after that, it was kind of, so it was weird here because of like, I think everybody around our age had that like Pokemon face. I'm probably not wrong there. Um, and like here, here in here in Buffalo, when they aired it on TV, it was like Pokemon aired, and then right after was like a TV show called Siskel and Ebert. Um, right. And these were like two big film critics, and I'm like eight or nine, and there was one day where it's like Pokemon, and then it's like up next our review of Pokemon the movie, and I'm like, oh cool, um, I get to listen to people talk about the Pokemon movie. Um, and then I watch like five minutes of it and they're like, so Pokemon, the first movie is the worst movie I have ever. And I'm like eight or nine. And I'm like, living. I'm like, these guys are <laughs> idiots. I hate them. I'm like getting emotional about it. Um, but then I was like, it's cool though, that there's a show about movies. So I kind of just kept watching it like every week. And then it was like Pokemon. And then like these two old guys talking about movies. Was it always um, was it always like younger kid film because of the time it was on or did they ever go up to like oh, all no, ages? So like, yeah, it was like everything. Um, it was just like some weird programming choice that they had. <laughs> um, so so that meant that meant like my my taste in film early on became like very weird. Um, just like that, I was watching like kind of movies you wouldn't expect like an eleven year old to watch. Like, I remember, like, my first um, R-rated movie, or uh, what's the equivalent in the UK? Like, an 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my first was, like, I remember I was in class, and, like, everybody was going to see, like, Freddy versus Jason or something like that. And I went to go see Wes, Wes Anderson's The Royal Tenenbaums as my first one. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. In, and I kept talking about it at school, and nobody had any idea what I was talking about. Um... But then I was just like, yeah, I kind of, these are the kind of movies I like. Um, and then I just, that kind of continued year after year. And 
yeah, then I went to school for film. So it's kind of just been ever since like that moment, it's been like lifelong. So you, you after that, you went to school to, to study film. What, what specific area? Um, so I studied film production. I moved out to Los Angeles for two years. Well, two and a half years. Um, I didn't love it out there. It wasn't for me. But uh, I learned a lot. I got to hear from a lot of like really smart people about film. Um, the coolest thing about that, though, was because this was like a bigger film school, was they would have like big directors come in and just be like, we're going we're gonna to talk today. So like, Michael Bay came in for a class and like is showing clips <laughs> of bad boys in the back. And it's also kind of funny because of like a lot of people in film school are kind of like snobby. So you have like people who are like listening to Michael Bay and also like, eh, you also did Transformers. So um, <laughs> that's so, it. Um, that was kind of dope. And um, I did learn a lot there. Um, but I think what I, what I really realized there was just, I almost just liked sort of breaking films down and talking about films with my classmates or with friends of mine, like more than I almost liked the filmmaking process or like, I just really liked writing about movies too, you know? Um, so... Do you think that's from such an early age being, uh, introduced to that sort of critic, uh, element of films? I do, I do think that's part of it because I think um, a lot of people who like make movies, their idols uh, tend to be like these people, other directors. And I, I, I have a huge amount of respect for directors um, and a huge admiration for them. But like my hero was Roger Ebert, like that old guy I saw on the TV. Like that was my dude. Um, did you ever forgive him about Pokemon? The, did you ever you know, forgive him about that review? It, it took a long time. I'd say after about 10 years, I was finally ready to let it go. Um, <laughs> I, I do remember, no joke though, I think it was like around 15 or 16, um, I did send him an email about like, I did, hey, I just bought your book. I love the book, but I've never really forgiven you for the Pokemon <laughs> review. Um, <laughs> And I, I never heard back. I'm guessing that's because of the Pokemon Snipe, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I think I think a huge amount of it had to do with like that being my guy. You know, like that was that was my hero when I was when I was a kid. So when I went to film school, it's kind of like maybe maybe I'm more suited to talk about film than uh, you know make films. Was that supported at that time by your peers? Uh, did it seem like um, I'm guessing everyone's going to LA? It's 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 the carrot in the in the distance, isn't it? It's the place where everyone wants to go and feel like that's where they're going to get the break within the industry. Be it an actor, director, producer, cinematographer, something associated around the film world, the set world. But you've now said that you want you felt more comfortable in another domain, maybe breaking films down and, and describing films. Was that supported um, by, as I say, tutors and peers? How was, how was um, that decision viewed? Yeah, I mean, most of the people I knew, um, it was kind of like one of those, like, find your passion things, right? Like, most of the people who were my peers or um, who even just, like, professors of mine were kind of like, you know, some people just have more of a mind for writing about film than writing film necessarily. And, you know, there's also the thing too of like, there is a weird overlap too of, uh, especially like in the sixties of film critics who became film directors and back and forth and back and forth. Really? Um, this was like big, big in France, really. Um, there's like people like uh, Jean-Luc Godard, Francois Truffaut. Uh, these are like, I'm going deep in the well here, but... Um, it's I don't all think good. People will be able to Google them after, yeah. so feel free to just throw names, man. That's what it's about, a bit of knowledge. Yeah, so I think, I do think there was an element, too, of it with my uh, professors kind of being like, uh, well, you know, go off and do that. Maybe he's going to come back. Uh, so, but, like, uh, after that, I kind of, uh, I finished, like, halfway through school, and then I switched schools to come back here to Buffalo, New York. Um, and I found... The, I found the professors here even more encouraging. Like, it was kind of that, like, a two, like, I would write about movies, and, they, and like, I would have professors say, like, we can feel, like, the passion you have for this movie mm. when you're talking about, you know? And 
it would be different when I did that and when I like actually turned in something that you know I had filmed they'd kind of be like we kind of see what you're doing here like it was almost like that thing of like oh we know what movie you kind of ripped this off of um, <laughs> Uh, do you think it is a good springboard and a good research tool in a sense of if you do find yourself creating your own scripts or your own films in future, do you think that it is a stepping stone? Are you comfortable within the area that you are and wanting to expand a bit more with that world, with the with the review world? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think... Um... I think that's an, that's an interesting question because I do really just love the review world right now. Um, but yeah, I do think there is a good thing about like reviewing film of like, if you know what's wrong with a movie or you know what works about a movie, then when you are working on your own creative project, you can kind of sidestep those mistakes you might've made. Um, well, I've always, I've always considered that um, from a, a critic's perspective and from somebody who's receiving the the feedback sometimes it can be harsh criticism sometimes it can be very glowing but you know what what sort of uh, experience or passion or love do people have to within that field and do they have an agenda or a narrative so it's something that can sway so much to just actually being able to be quite pure in in speaking from the heart about like an actual film and review i find with a with a lot of uh, let's say newspaper critics for example I was watching a, a Ricky Gervais piece the other day and he was on about a critic who had a go at him about the office and he still had an agenda with him and now he's having a go about him at afterlife because he's saying yeah. afterlife isn't as funny as the office and it's like well the two completely different polarizing scripts so of course they're not going to be so I, I, I wonder from your point of view like that you know giving the director's sense I think it'd make more sense a critic then going to do films rather than the other way around because I feel like there could be a bit of bitterness if it's gone from film to then crit being critiquing. So I'm interested in, in yeah, hearing you just elaborate a bit more on if you would step into the films later down down the line. Yeah, so I, I mean, even, even just kind of in the past year, I have worked on sort of some creative projects. I've had like some screenplays I've kind of started writing. Um, a lot of them have been more for short films. Um, I do have like a real passion, at least creatively, for horror films. So that's kind of what I have written thus far. Um, but I do think I do think there is kind of that thing of, you know, I did have a professor who I think might have had a little bit of a bad experience too with the creative process, who did say like I remember in a lecture that the greatest film critic of all time if they haven't ever done anything then they're in no place to criticize because of they're coming at it from a point where there's no stakes yeah. which like that's there's kind of a truth to that um and i do think uh, you know being in that position of being um in the field creatively and then coming to it as a critic it does give you an appreciation for at least what they're trying to do um, fair i never saw it like that but that's a real good point yeah and, and I do think that's also funny enough, if I'm coming back to, you know, what inspired me with all this is why I always really liked Roger Ebert was he was a guy who like was a film critic, but then he did try to write movies in like the seventies. It didn't go good for him at all. Really bad movies. Um, and then he came back to reviewing and he's kind of like, I get what they're going for. And um, he had, he had this thing that he said too, which I, I kind of have, um, adopted, which was that when you're reviewing a film, you have to review, you know, not what it's about, but what they're trying, the way they're trying to say it. Um, so, you know, there's been a million movies that could be about a superhero. There's a million movies that could be about gangsters, but you have to find the way that specific filmmaker is trying to say something about this genre or say something about this character. And if you can see sort of a new perspective on it, or just just maybe their own unique style on it because a movie could look and feel completely different and be about the same thing um and that's how how i review movies really ever since i kind of looked at it that way so how did cynicism come around is it a, an extension of your you wanting the world to hear about the reviews that you do because i know you do different topics don't you, you, you is it is it two films a show yeah, so we normally do two two films a show. Um, 
actually, so cynicism was a thing that came about for a very at a very specific moment. Um, is that I I I've been out of school now for a few years. I've been working um, sort of random gigs. I think I met you during one of those times. Um, <laughs> And uh, whether it was in Manchester or whether it's here in Buffalo, I would just like talk my friend's ears off forever about movies. Like, you know, we'd go see a movie, go grab a drink, and then I'd be there for like an hour and a half. And people would be like, do you need to like write this down or like just talk? To and uh, last year, um, last, last uh, fall, um, I went to the Toronto Film Festival in Toronto, Canada. And it's like the second biggest film festival in the world after the Cannes Film Festival. Serious? Yeah. And it was, it was incredible. I saw, I saw like pretty much all the movies that like were up for the Oscars last year. You I saw, saw the like, Joker before, Andy, didn't you? I saw the Joker. Yeah, I saw the Joker. It was the North American premiere and the director was there. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Joaquin Phoenix was there. Like the whole, and all these movies played there. Um, you know, Parasite, the South Korean film that won uh, Best Picture, that was its premiere there too. I got to actually ask the director a question, which was awesome. Um, but like, the cool thing about that more than anything was just like, I would go to this festival. It was about like a week long I was there. And I'd be seeing like four films a day. And the room would be like filled with film critics and just people from the industry and also like public, but like people who were super passionate. And I remember I was like sitting in this very old theater in Toronto, like in this balcony, completely surrounded by film critics, like 10 a.m. Everybody's like taking notes. And then there's just like a huge like applause too. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, these people do this every day. I'm like, I would love this. Like, this is what I want my life to be. Like, I want to go to a movie at 10 a.m. I want to take notes. I want to talk about this movie to everybody. Um, and then I came home and I was talking to my buddy Brian, who is the co-host of Cynicism, about it. And the cool thing about Cynicism that we've, we really like about it is that I do come at this from a place of like a uh, background of film. You know, I've studied film. I've loved it for years. And my co-host Brian, he's somebody who really loves film, is super open-minded, but doesn't have that well of history he's coming at everything fresh and i think that's really great for like how we can talk about film because it does make me have to step back and be like look not everybody knows all the crap i'm talking about so sometimes i just gotta like break it down nice and easy for people and that makes it cool too when we like really link over on a film or disagree because we're coming at it from two very different sides um and so we try to keep up with new releases. We do two films a show. Um, we're taking a little break because obviously there's not films in theaters right now. Um, but we're also kind of talking about like ways to do it during the quarantine because we want to bring it back. You know, we, we just love doing it. Yeah, it'd be amazing if you could maybe call, uh, do like, um, I know, uh, cynicism, cult classic. I love the term cult classic. I put it in yeah, everything. Yeah. But you know what you're looking at? You, like you, you recommending... For example, John Hughes, my favourite director of all times. I can see Ferris in the background. If you did, yeah. like, a John Hughes, like, tribute and you reviewed, like, spoke about all his films and something like that would be amazing to just, get, like, get lost into. Yeah, so actually one thing that I had pitched that we've been talking about doing is um, it's going to be something that'll be fun because it, it'll let, let us talk about, like, big, big movies, but also, like, movies people might not know is we found a list of, like, the like hundred greatest directors of all time. And a lot of these movies are by like foreign filmmakers. Some of them are by like big filmmakers like Spielberg or John Hughes. Um, but we, we thought we would just like go through and like roll a die and then just be like, see who it lands on. And then we do two of their movies and that would just be, be the cool. episode. And that That'd way cool. too, like that, that way, like, it might, like, somebody who's never watched, like, a foreign film or something might check that out. Or, um, you know, somebody who just, like, like me, like, I, I love Martin Scorsese, but there's a lot of his films from, like, the 80s that I've never seen. And it's, like, it's cool to check those out, you know? Um, you know, when you were at the film sat around with the critics... Did you feel at home with them, as you said, but were you also making notes as well? Or do you 
want to get immersed in the film and make mental notes because I can see making notes sort of bringing you out of the attention of the film, which could throw you. Yeah, so um, I, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are critics as well. So I think what I've uh, seen is pretty much it works completely different for everybody else. It's, it does have a lot to do with like where I, I think it's really just about multitasking. Like I'm not a good multitasker at all. Um, so I have friends who will like be able to watch the movie and write notes and still be fully in it. But me myself, like I, I tend, what I tend to do is I tend to watch the film and then I sit in my seat and don't move and kind of just scribble notes as quick as I can while the end credits are still coming down. So that like everything that's fresh is still like there, you know? Um, and then I kind of, think more about it you know a day or two later and then come back to it and that's kind of how i make my review um but yeah i think i think it works different from other critics because i also have uh, a good friend of mine uh, michael Caleri. he's a local buffalo critic this guy this guy's been reviewing movies like for 60 years like this guy <sighs> knows his stuff um and he never takes notes and he like will make kind of like jokes about like younger people who are making notes like he's uh, uh, but it's just not for him um and you know it's it's completely different then i have uh, another friend of mine um jared he, he like literally will write almost his whole review by the time the movie's over and it's like wild to me uh so yeah i think it's just whatever your attention span is you know so is there a bit of a, a scene for it in buffalo um so we have uh, we have a scene that was really hot about like a couple years ago. Um, it's been waning a little bit, um, and I think that's more just because of I think it's been really hard right now with theaters. Um, mm. Theaters aren't doing the kind of numbers they used to do necessarily. Um, so what do you, like, do, do you put that down to? Do you put that down to the luxury of being able to stream on online, or do you think it's just the allure of the films? Uh, I do think it's streaming. I mean, I think it's, it's such a big part of streaming. It's because of, uh, you know, the way the way I think about it, too, is like, you know, me and you, when we grew up, it was like you either watched the VHS tapes for like a movie that came out like a year ago, or you could see like a new movie in theaters. And that was like super exciting. Like if your parents took you to the cinema to see something, yeah. it was like, all right, here we go. Lights go down. Popcorn. Let's do this. And, and also, you needed to see it in a, in a window, because if you didn't, then everyone would be talking about it at school, and you'd be missing out. Yeah. So it was almost like a weird pressure of having to see that specific, like, film. Yeah, like, if you were the kid who, like, didn't get to see, like, Scream or Superbad or something like that, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, you were a clown. People were, you know. So I think, too, the other thing is, like, that window used to be so long, too. Like, it literally would be, like, a year later you would have to wait. And now it's, like, you know, there's so many new movies on Netflix. Like, if you don't mm. catch a movie in theaters, you know, there's, like, that Chris Hemsworth extraction thing that just came out last Friday. You know, there's a big action movie on Netflix if you don't want to watch the theatrical one. Um, and then, too, it's, like, movies now are, like, two months after it's been in theaters. So people are yeah. kind of like, eh. You know, if I didn't see it there, I can wait and see a Black Widow or something in, in August instead of June or whatever. Do you think um, the, I'm going to call it an experiment because I don't believe it's been done, but when The Irishman originally was released by Netflix at the cinema, but it was done as a Netflix production and you knew it was going to be broken down on Netflix as well. Do you feel like that's maybe a good way of introducing people back to the theatre? Because I still think that, it's an essential part of culture that is required. I think it, you know, I think when you when you're growing up, but getting to go with your friends, you feel a bit of independence, and you, you you're all like going to see these films together, and you get your own in jokes. Remember going to see Road Trip with my mates, and we still talk yeah. about like Tom Green, like eating the mouse and stuff, and you know, those are real like maturing moments of friends as when you're growing up, and then obviously if you're going on a date. You want to go, oh, just chill with your friends, like, kick it back. It, it, they, they really do have a, a real important place in society. So do you think that um, relationships like what Netflix did is the way forward to help preserve audiences going back to the theatre? Yeah, so 
I mean, I think that's that's huge. Like, I loved when they did that with uh, The Irishman. And I'm completely with you. Like, I, I like being able to watch a movie on Netflix. But for me, it's it's something different when you watch in a the theater, you know. Um, you, there's just so much more focus, you know. You're in it. And, and especially, like, too, like, when you see a comedy movie or a horror film especially, and, like, it's opening night, packed theater, and you can hear, like, people laughing or like yeah. people like going like oh fuck no yeah like, yeah that's great i love that um, it's almost the repel of what their reaction is gets you reacting as well in a certain way yeah yeah and and look like i normally i normally when people um when people go like normally when people go to the cinema i normally am like please don't talk please don't shout whatever but I still remember, like, first weekend Paranormal Activity came out. Um, there's, like, the part where, like, they put the sugar on the ground, and then, like, you see footprints. And, like, it's supposed to be one of the scariest moments in a movie. And it, it did get me. I was, like, creeped out. But a dude, like, couple rows up just shouts out, oh, shit, it's Big Bird. And, like, the whole theater <laughs> lost it. <laughs> and... Still one of my favorite moments ever seeing a movie. Um, but, like, I do think, I think what Netflix is doing in that regard, I think that's great. Um, I think, I think what I've said that I think is hopefully going to happen with movies is I think it's going to kind of be, like, records. You know, like, once, uh, once streaming took over, like, people didn't buy CDs regularly. Um, but the people who were super passionate about music, like they went out, they got records, they got record players, you know, they wanted that, like, because it, it does sound different on vinyl than it does uh, when you hear it in like Spotify. Um, and I think it's going to be similar with theaters. I think you're going to have like, kind of, I think also too, I think theaters are going to be a little bit more than theaters. Like, I think it's going to be like a full night out for people. So like what Home is doing in Manchester I actually yeah. see that as like what I think the future of film of theaters is going to be. I think it's going to be something that, you know, you go to see a film, but it's also you go get dinner there, you grab drinks at the bar, you know, um, maybe there's like a, a film pub quiz after something like that. You know, it's like a full night out. Um, I think that's really what's going to bring people back to the theater. Um and and I do, but I think it's going to change. I think uh, you're going to have a certain type of movie that just plays on Netflix, um, and then I think you're going to have certain types of films that just play uh, in the in the cinemas. Um, but I'm 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 getting more optimistic about it. I think I was a little pessimistic for a while, but I'm feeling a little bit better about it. The more though, in the past couple of days. Uh, shout out to Joe as well, who's commented saying cinema is so immersive. It's all about that energy, which I fully, fully agree with. And again, if anyone's watching and they want to leave any points or questions, if we can get to those and give those a shout out as well, where you're more than welcome to to, to hit that up. And um, one thing I want to ask you, Nick, is what is Buffalo like? I, I imagine it. I, I'm, I've just recently fully started getting into me uh, NFL, and uh, I've seen okay. a few tailgate videos uh, of the Buffalo Bills, which look absolutely wild. But it looks proper blue collar, grit. Like that's what they say about when players come there. You know, it can be a bit cold, but like it's a sense of optimism of almost like it will happen, but it will happen one day. Something like that. That fighter spirit. Uh, and also, I wonder if that then would add to any um, filmmaking ideas that you'd have later down the line. Like, do you think that shooting in Buffalo would be pretty cool to do? Yeah, so, I mean, you, you nailed it there with um, actually kind of like what the aesthetic is in Buffalo. It is very much like, it's a, it is super blue collar, super like rust belt. We have like, there's like a whole like mile here. Um, where it's literally just like abandoned, rusted factories. Um, and actually, it's funny you mentioned about shooting, because that's actually been what has drawn a lot of filmmakers to shoot in Buffalo, is stuff like that. Like A Quiet Place 2, which was supposed to be coming out, that was all filmed here in Buffalo. Um, and uh, Guillermo del Toro, who obviously did uh, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Blade, the Hellboy movies, uh, he was shooting his new movie here in Buffalo just about like a month ago. Um, so there's, there's a lot about the city that makes it a great place to shoot. 
Um, and, and it's too, it's, it's not necessarily just like these abandoned spooky buildings, which obviously helps horror filmmakers. Um, we have just like a lot of great, uh, a lot of great like old architecture from like the thirties. So it makes, it makes things look like, like when people want to shoot movies that take place in like the thirties or forties, there's a lot of times they come here for that too, because you know, you go downtown and it looks like you, you're in a time machine. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the vibe of Buffalo is definitely that. It is kind of that thing of like uh, very, very working class. Um, but we have like a really great art scene here. Like the music that comes out of here is great. Um, a lot of, lot of wonderful bands. Um, weirdly, we have like a big synth pop scene here, which is cool. I'm into that. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh it's it is kind of like this city that's very working class but has this artistic heartbeat under it it's a very progressive city um, does it feel new york because it is buffalo i am sorry buffalo ny but it seems completely different to how i imagine like new york the five boroughs yeah no so that's the funny thing is because we're in new york uh, we have that association but we're so different um like to put in perspective because i think i think people especially outside the states never realized just like how enormous it is you've you've traveled here so i'm sure you know um but like it's literally about an eight and a half hour drive from buffalo to new york city um and yet it's maybe about a 45 minute drive from here to canada to canada so, yeah so it does the does the niagara falls uh blend into buffalo yeah, so a lot of people who come to Buffalo come here to see Niagara Falls. Um, I always say we're kind of almost more like Canada Junior than uh, than actually being like Buffalo or being like New York. Um, you know, we have a lot of like weird little chains too that Canada has. So we are kind of Canada Junior, but um, it is it is uh, it is kind of exactly what you described too. That kind of like. You know, we're not there yet. We're we're very working class, but maybe someday we'll be back to where we used to be. Um, and I think you see that with Bills fans and people jumping through tables and stuff. But <laughs> so I'm when sure. you, oh, sorry, oh go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, when you've got these uh, film projects which are stepping to Buffalo, is there? access to be around the film scenes or do you have opportunity is there anywhere that you can reach out and get like exclusive scoops so you know for cynicism yeah so i mean in terms of that um what's really been great so far are people like uh who have been in the scene for a while like you know i mentioned my friend michael cleary he's been a film critic for you know um decades now so he definitely has a lot of threads and he likes helping a lot of the people coming through um, and it's been great that there's people in the community who have been kind of there for years who want to help uh, people coming through as young film critics. Um, for filmmakers, it's really been great because of we do have a lot of local sort of art house theaters that will work with local filmmakers and screen their projects and stuff like that. Um, you know, I do want to give a shout out to North Park Theater here in Buffalo because they they hold a film festival often for uh, filmmakers with shorts playing here. I've had friends who have premiered their stuff there, um, and just like little projects too. They'll they'll do like closed off nights where they just show stuff by local filmmakers. Um, we even have a guy here who makes horror, mainly horror films, and uh, he, they have like a, a drive-in theater here. And they'll do like a double feature, like once a summer, just of his horror films that he's made. And it's it's tight. Like you get to be able to see it, and you get to see it in like that perfect sort of atmosphere to see a horror film. And um, it's shot around the areas that people recognize as well. Yeah, like he'll shoot he'll shoot all over Western New York, um, and uh, that, there's a lot of really cool avenues here in in Buffalo. Um, obviously, too, being so close to somewhere like Toronto really helps, too, because of, you know, Toronto, I think, has maybe one of the most bustling sort of film scenes in the world. And it, it does allow you that chance to go up there and sort of they have short film festivals all the time that you can submit to. Um, so there's a really good relationship, too, with just being so close to Toronto. That's it, mate. So you... you... You're close to New York, as in eight hours, but classed as New York, but you're close to yeah, Toronto yeah. as well, so you've got the best of both. 
Yeah, we get, I mean, we get a little bit of New York. We have even more of Canada. Um, and, and Canada, I mean, Toronto's, Toronto's like one of my favorite cities in the world. Like, um, it's just, it's like, it's like, imagine, imagine like New York and Chicago combined, but everything just feels more like relaxed and chill. And like, people are super friendly. Um, it's, I, it's one of the best cities in the world. Um, and it's, it's one that I feel like I, until like Drake started talking about it all the time, people didn't really think of all the time, but, uh, I mean, good for him that we appreciate that. Uh, do you feel, um, would you ever consider moving there or do you have the best of both been in Buffalo and been able to access it whenever you want? Um, I mean, I, I think I would, I, I love, I love Toronto a lot. Um, the kind of logistics of moving there is a bit difficult, but if the opportunity presented itself, that's that's somewhere I definitely could see myself. Um, but at the same time, there is there is kind of something about like that, like Buffalo, like Buffalonians. It's almost like criminal to leave Buffalo because it's like we're all in this together. You know, you have to fight <laughs> for this city. Um, so, what was it like when you returned? Were people like, "And you would be back"? <laughs> there was a bit of that for sure um yeah no it was a pretty pretty warm welcome i saw people like who i hadn't seen in maybe like a year um well obviously i was in england for the full year so that makes sense um but you know <laughs> people coming out of like the woodwork who i hadn't seen in a while um and yeah it's kind of just that like you know it's like you're one of our own like we embrace you here um and same when people move here too like if some it's almost kind of like a a second of shock where it's like you chose to move to Buffalo. It's like, <laughs> all right, you're, you're in, you're part of the family, you're here. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of like hometown pride and also just like, I mean, I mean the like corny sort of uh, tagline we give ourselves is the city of good neighbors. But like, there's, there's a bit of that. That's definitely true. Like we, we, there is a lot of like looking out for one another um, and just like, Anytime you sort of see somebody from Buffalo kind of blow up, it is kind of like one of those things of like, whoa, like that's, that's awesome. Um, is there anybody who we could maybe say who has, like who we might, might know? Because from the top of my head, I, I can't pitch, think of anybody or any names. Yeah, so, um, I mean, one of, one of the biggest, even though he likes to claim he's not from Buffalo, which we have a lot of mixed feelings about that, is um, like Passion Pit, like they, they started here in Buffalo because the lead singer is from Buffalo. Um, I mean, if you go back historically, the big one is Rick James is from Buffalo. Um, yes. So there's that for sure. Um, I just realized, I, well, I say realized, I found out about a month ago that he wrote um, Party All The Time with uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. I and did not know that. And that's a decent tune too. Like Eddie, Eddie Murphy had chops. Yeah. I heard um, that the story that that happened is um, I don't know if there was Philadelphia or maybe Buffalo, but they got snowed in. It was meant to be on a SNL and they got snowed in. So then they got in the studio and then next minute they produced that. So it's a tune. Yeah, I mean, knowing Buffalo and knowing how much snow we get, it well could be us. So that that sounds about <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and I mean the other the other big artist, if people like their uh, '90s one-hit wonders, is uh, the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, my old coworkers used to make fun of me at the Patron about this on a repeated basis. Um, so sh shout out the Patron. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, um, you know, we have uh, one of the big people coming through right now is I don't know if you've heard of him, but there's a rapper West Side Gun um he he signed to uh eminem's label and he put okay. out a record earlier this year it's oh, is he on um is he does he feature on a songs to be murdered by yeah 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 and um uh what is it west side gun and who's the other guy um uh for songs to be murdered by do you see some all over yeah yeah on my mind it's 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 still early here in buffalo <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah there's a whole kind of like rap collective coming out of here um in buffalo it's it's like west side gun uh conway the machine and uh benny the butcher 
And, like, these three guys all got signed together by Eminem. And, like, if you're looking at, like, reviews, too, like, I know, like, Pitchfork gave them, like, a great review for their most recent record. They're kind of blowing up. Um, and then and then if you, like, take things back to, like, my world here, a film, um, there was a movie that's not an easy watch, um, but it's called Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Um, this movie came out maybe about a month ago, but it's on, like, video on demand and stuff. Um, I say it's not an easy watch because of it's literally about, like, a girl trying to get an abortion, but her state won't, like, let her. Um, but it's a, it's a really good, powerful movie. Um, and the What's that film that, called again? Uh, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is a hard title to remember, I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For literally, when when I first heard about the movie, I remember it took me like a month to remember that title because I'd always be like, rarely, sometimes, and I was like, oh, fuck it. Um, <laughs> but it does uh, star this girl, Sydney Flanagan, and she's from here in Buffalo. Um, she's like, uh, she's phenomenal in the film. The film played at Sundance here. They went to the Venice Film Festival here, so it's really blowing up. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic about uh, her as like a next big star. So keep a lookout for her because, you know, as I said, we look out for Buffalo and uh, we want our, our hometown heroes to do well. So uh, keep an eye out for Sydney Flanagan. Amazing. I just want to give a shout out to Frenchie. Big up Frenchie who came through up, saying Frenchie? this, guys. Uh, Felix and the Cats agreeing with you, saying that physically and culturally closer to Toronto than NYC. And then Joe saying that he loves Toronto as well. So there's a lot of love for Toronto. And my cousin Jason saying big up. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of love for uh, Toronto. And uh, I didn't realise the geographical like location with how close Buffalo were really, but that's cool. And I, I can tell the passion that you've got about Buffalo. And obviously, I like the fact that it's got a cool art scene popping off as well. And it seems like, who knows, over this next sort of generation and this next decade, it could be the time when Buffalo gets its its right place at the top. You just uh, The Bulls have just signed Diggs as well, haven't they? What's that? The Bills have just signed Stephon Diggs, man. So, so uh, full disclosure, and this is... Gonna... You're not an American football fan. I'm not. And my and my fellow my fellow Buffalonians uh, know this and, and sort of resent this about me. Like it it is this weird thing too in in Buffalo where like in Manchester like football's so huge in Manchester, you know. But like the thing is, because there is that city united divide, you know, it's like people will like casually talk football, but it's not like dominated in in Buffalo here. Like, literally, people will use, like, Go Bills as, like, the equivalent of hello and goodbye. Like, <laughs> people, people will walk down the street on game day and just be like, yo, Go Bills. And I'm, and for me, who's not just not into it, I'm just like, yeah, cool. I'm like, cool. Um, I mean, no, I, that's, you might actually see here on my other wall, I'm, I'm more... More the English football fan. I got my United flag up. Yeah, I see um, you posting some United stuff up every now and again. I'm like, nah. Yeah, I'm like, not, where's my not, little bit? Not, not your favorite, there's the crest, I know. There's the only crest that counts, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, just on the on the back of that, like I remember watching something on Vice where uh, Samu Hon, the chef, he was uh, invited to one of the tailgates and just all the the boozing and the food, that it looked wild. It looked wild. I, mean, like I would literally, because I was actually, I was going to go, I was going to be out in America for Burning Man, and then I was going to yeah. do LA after, perform some comedy, and then do New York. But next time, was, uh, when I get the opportunity to do so, I'll come Buffalo come as Buffalo. well. Definitely, mate. I definitely want to catch a, a, a footy game and some of that tailgating banter, and then go to Toronto as well, if it's just, just up road. Yeah, for sure, dude. I mean that's the thing. I'm I'm not not a football guy, but if you're talking like tailgating, that that I'm there for. Like that's a party. Um, it's, for it's anyone who's uh, watching who's not familiar with tailgating, basically before uh, an American football match, people get to the car park of the of the stadium four, five, even six hours uh, ahead. And True. they've got these massive pickup trucks and they open the back and they're cooking barbecues. They've got like massive 
barrels of beer and everyone's just getting wild and loose. And then they go watch the game after steamboating. It's madness. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I don't think you would be able to do that in the UK. I think. Uh... <laughs> Tell me about it, mate. Tell me about it. But no, amazing to catch up with you, brother. Do you want to just uh, wrap up by just saying again where people can find your socials and where they can find out the Cynicism podcast as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can check us out at Cynicism Film on Instagram. Um, that's also our website, cynicismfilm.com. Uh, we have a history of shows that you can check out on Spotify or Apple Music. Um, and yeah, if, if you want to, as uh, Ben mentioned, if you just want a film recommendation during this time, uh, you can hit me up on my Instagram. It's uh, Nikolai Muldoon, N-I-K-O-L-A-I-M-U-L-D-O-O-N. Um, and yeah, it's been great uh, catching up with you, man. And thanks to everybody who watched. Perfect. What I'll do is once this is done, uh, I'll get you a YouTube link and I'll get it on IGTV so you can share it out and people can see it as well. But amazing chat, amazing catch up and keep keep it real with the films, man. Honestly, it's cool seeing how you're able to bring so many people together and give them different hints and tips of what to watch. So I love that side of it, brother. Respect to you. Absolutely. Cheers, brother, Ben. Cheers. You take it easy, bro. Bye. See you, man. Uh... Shout out to Joe for uh, being active. We'll definitely go Buffalo, mate. I'm up for that. If you're up for that, we'll go Buffalo and we'll roll through to Toronto. But yeah, thank you to everybody who has been active within the group. I'm Ben Random. This is Loose Lips. That was Nick Muldoon. And we we're speaking to him about his love for film, critiquing the films and also Buffalo, where he's from as well. My next chat is going to be at 4pm. We're going to be speaking with an absolute sneaker trainer addict, Chris Jack. He's in Cape Town in South Africa. He has a channel called Sneaker Stories and he's going to be discussing about how he manages to get hold of some of the rarest and hardest finds in the trainer world and how he goes about reviewing them as well. So thank you very much. If you want to see any previous Loose Lips, put in Pop Cult Chic on YouTube and you can find all the back catalogue there. And likewise, here on Instagram, if you put pop.cult.chic, put that in and you can find our back catalogue there. Other than that, I'll see you in a few. Peace.